1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. Okay. So I have Mary Carr on the on the line. She's one of my absolute favorite authors, and most importantly, she just came out with a new book, The Art of the Memoir. And this is, Mary, after you've written three excellent memoirs. You're like, you're like memoir crazy. I know, right? So you well, have, that's
0: all they'll pay me for. If they would pay me to write something
1: else, I'd write something else. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you about that. So you've written Cherry, which is kind of a young adult. Not, not I don't want to use the word young adult, but kind of like a, a adolescence to adulthood memoir, Liar's Club, and Lit. And uh, I think that's kind of the chronological time of these uh, memoirs, even though it wasn't the order in which you no, wrote li- them. No, li- Liar's Club was first. Right, right, it wasn't the order in which you wrote them. Liar's Club, I sort of feel, was like your seminal memoir. Oh, well, good for me. <laughs> well, so, so, but now you've written The Art of the Memoir, because, and, and I, I want to ask, I, I have a couple of questions about this, but I think it's important for the audience to know, what a memoir is. It doesn't necessarily mean this is like the greatest work of literature ever. It might mean just, hey, I need to get honest with myself and share experience I, experiences I have on the written page because there's value there whether I recognize it immediately or not. And I'm just curious why you – what, what's your take on the memoir form?
0: Um. I don't know, it's just a form that I was very compelled by when I was a little kid. I was a very, I think I was a lonely, bookish, weird kid and growing up in the Southeast Texas backwater and, um, you know, the people in books and on the page were kind of more real to me in many ways than a lot of the people I ran into. And something about reading other people's life stories just made me less lonely. So when I was 10 years old, I wrote in my little journal, when I grow up, I will write one half poetry and one half autobiography. So, um, I don't know, just something about the form always compelled me, and uh, I happened to meet a lot of kind of wonderful memoirists in graduate school, and uh, eventually found my way to the form after I... I guess I've been teaching it... I started teaching it in 85, and my first book came out in 95, so... I spent um, most of my life reading them.
1: Now, you know, what's interesting is um, you mentioned poetry and memoir. And, of course, uh, a huge kind of area in the middle there is fiction. And, you know, it seems to me a lot of times uh, fiction has lost its luster a little bit because we're so exposed to reality like through TV and through other forms uh-huh. and through other media that maybe uh-huh. fiction is not as interesting anymore as memoir. You know, for let's say a hundred years, fiction was interesting, but now memoir and and, and so-called creative narrative nonfiction has, has been replacing it.
0: Uh, I don't know if that's actually true or not. Um, I know that I've been very bored by a lot of the sort of, you know, dystopic, uh, unreal uh, kind of, and also really hyper intellectual fiction that really prides itself on its unreality. And um, you know, I read and I read because I need help. <laughs> you know, I, what do you, what I do you need? Mean? I need to, co- I need need to connect with? with another. I just I need to connect with other people. You know, I I grew up in a complicated household, and I I just think uh, I want to feel connected to other people. And if you're writing about your north korean, you know, prison experience when you're some rich white kid in the midwest. I don't know. It just never blew up my cut. There's something those books are always maybe really good in the first chapter and then they just kind of trail off and get less interesting to me. Um
1: so 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 I want to I want to push on this a little bit because I think some fiction is 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 basically memoir clothed in the sensibilities of the writer. So take, take for instance, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, which is clearly a work of fiction and also at the same time, clearly his memoir. Um, well, a a better example might be Philip Roth, uh, you
0: know, writing about a character called Philip Roth and, you know, essentially detailing a divorce and, and his divorce from Claire Bloom and then slapping fiction on the book. So she can't sue him. So,
1: um, but but like David
0: David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. The mo- the most to me, the most interesting parts of that book were I, I just happen to know were nonfiction. So
1: okay, so so it could be the case that I mean I think this happens actually a lot with quality fiction. Like I don't know if you've read Dennis Johnson's uh, Jesus Son, for instance. Oh, one. yeah. It's
0: one of the great books of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. You, now, that's a fabulous work of fiction to me. And and it is fairly autobiographical from what I understand. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I know Dennis a little bit, but well,
1: let's assume it's a it, great damn book. Let's assume it's 100% autobiographical just for, just for argument. And yet he packaged it as fiction. Um, you know, I, I think, again, some of the best fiction out there, you know, the fiction, as they say, is always uh, kind of the the uh, a lie told truthfully or the truth told with a lie. I forget the, the order of that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. But, but so it seems like even in some of these, like you mentioned, dystopian novels or or other things, ultimately, the, the quality of the writing is going to come from whether is this truth coming from the writer or not? Or is this just made up?
0: Well, so, I mean, I think if you read George Saunders, who's my example, to me, is an example of somebody who writes dystopic fiction that is incredibly emotionally and psychologically realistic. Uh, it's, it's not really written to dazzle you with the weirdness of his imagination. It's written to explore the human heart. So, So, um, so, so, so. I think those are great stories. And I think he's probably the best short story writer in English right now, in my personal opinion, so um I mean I don't think there's anything about this topic fiction that's bad. I think most fiction is bad, the way most memoirs are bad, the way most poems are bad, the way most interviews are bad. you know it's I think it's hard to to get at the core of stuff right
1: yeah so so that's like in any artistic medium, like most music is bad um yeah, exactly, sure. So, so one of the things – so you talk about uh, the elements of what make a good memoir and one, one word that you use over and over again to describe various memoirists is um, the word carnal. So you know, in terms of the, the, the physicality of what the author is going through and that, that puts the reader in the scene with, with the writer so you can connect more. And, and I wonder if you're going to explain that word a little more.
0: Um, I mean, people use the word physical or sensory, and and often when people think of that, you think of the five senses, and you don't often think of the, you know, kinesthetic, uh, you know, what it feels like to occupy a body and what those, you know, touches in there, but it's mostly when people, when you're teaching undergraduates, say, to write in sensory language, you think it touches like feeling the edge of something not being inside their bodies, looking out of their faces, having a feeling. And so, um, I I mean, people think of carnal as as sexual, and I don't mean it that way. I just, I, I guess it's, I'm Catholic, I guess it's just from incarnate, you know, in meat, that we are sacks of meat, and somehow writing in a way that's physically so vivid that rather than telling the reader how to feel, actually making the reader feel that
1: thing. What, what uh, if,
0: and letting yeah, letting the reader draw uh, opinions.
1: What, what if what if a lack of carnality is what actually is you know the memoirist has experienced and and wants to express? yeah no
0: I think then I think they'll write better not carnal. Um, most of the ones that I've read are you know very good carnally. I mean I would say actually G. H. Hardy's a mathematician's apology is one of the most disembodied. Memoirs. There's nothing carnal about it, and it's one of the great memoirs. Certainly, certainly the great memoir by a mathematician I've ever read, so, or about being a mathematician. So I think you. I, I also stress that the the writer has to exploit the nature of his or her talent.
1: So, so you bring up G. H. Hardy's uh, a mathematician's apology as his memoir, and uh, in there he sort of expresses how when his math skills. Started to go down. I guess as he got older, he he wanted to kill himself. And I'm wondering. So, so you're you know you've written three memoirs over the past 25 years or 20 years. You you started 25 years ago uh, writing on on a liars club. Uh, do you ever get nervous? actually? I
0: probably I probably started uh, you know 35 years ago writing on a liars club. Just took me a long time to get to it.
1: Right, so do you ever get nervous? I mean, ultimately, a fiction writer can write fiction forever, but a memoirist only has so many stories. Now, of course, there are many ways to slice the same story, and there's many ways to overlap memoirs, but is the fate of a memoirist ultimately to watch their skills of memoiring go down?
0: I don't know. We'll. I guess we'll find out. I'm not that... I'm not going to kill myself if I don't write another memoir. I guess it kind of doesn't matter. You know, I'm I'm working on a book of poems right now. I've always considered myself. I've published four books of poems. I have a fifth uh, that I'm trying to finish right now. So I always sort of considered myself a poet who wrote memoirs for money. So if I don't write another memoir... You know, obviously, I'll miss the damn money, but um, I'm not somebody who would kill myself if I couldn't write anymore. Well, I I would assume I would be maybe making myself more useful.
1: And 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 by the way, not to suggest that you would kill yourself, but you then wrote this book, the art of the memoir. So so clearly, you're finding a way to take the knowledge you've gained from uh, writing these excellent memoirs to writing a almost a how-to. You're you, this is almost a memoir of you. Reading other memoirs and teaching it, so you figured out a way to reinvent. Well, it's
0: it's actually it's actually I I disagree. I, respectfully, I mean that that's it's funny people have sort of seen it that way, but I really saw it more as a way to. And obviously, I don't know what it is. I just wrote it. I mean, you know, I'm I sort of none of my business what it is in the world or the marketplace. But I intended it to be also a book about how we all remember. Ourselves and our families and our loved ones, whether we ever write it down or not. I, I, I kind of wanted it to be about the nature of memory and the nature of an examined life. If you know what I'm saying, whether it, but it's, it's not a memoir of my writing memoirs. I mean, if that were true, I would have started by writing about my first memoir, you know, and sort of written that written it that way. But
1: um, although, by you know, the way, you you do describe in great detail, and I'm going to get to this in a second, you do you do describe in great detail, kind of the troubles of starting uh, that first memoir. And I thought that was very beautiful how you did it and, and described step by step what was going on in your head while you were writing and at least beginning that first memoir. Thank you,
0: because it almost beat me to death, right? I think it takes—I think it takes me a long time to get to the truth, which people don't even believe exists anymore. But um, I think I usually start with very convenient ideas and 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 convenient memories, in which I always appear doing beautiful and noble things, and then it usually turns out that I'm—I was the one making a lot of the trouble.
1: Well, you, you kind of use that example when you describe not only for yourself, but for Katherine Harrison, um, who wrote this uh, a memoir about her adult uh, sort of affair with her father, but how you right. – she started out initially, she wrote a novel, and you started out initially thinking you would write a novel, and it just didn't come across in both cases, you point out, as the truth. And so I'm wondering, does the truth come because – you both were natural memoirists, like that was the way you were able to tease out the truth? Or w- could you have found a way through fiction to tease out the truth?
0: I, I, I don't know about Catherine. She has gone on to write some excellent novels, you know, so very few people are good in both forms, and I think she probably is good in both forms. Um, for me, for my part, I could not have written it. In fiction, I could not have sort of, you know, a, a great fiction writer. You know, Toni Morrison, what, to me, writes a greater truth in fiction than she would in memoir. Um, Hilary Mantel wrote a beautiful memoir called uh, Giving Up the Ghost that I taught. I'm, I'm about, actually about to teach. Um, but if you read her novels, Beyond Black or Wolf Hall or Bringing Up the Body, those are in many ways, you know, more substantial books. Her memoir is beautiful and terse. And certainly worth reading and rereading, but in some ways, I like her fiction better
1: so so it brings uh-huh. up it brings up two things um, the first is what what is truth to you then like because it seems like obviously there's very there's layers of truth there's the there's truth that's sort of exaggerated and and a mash of characters and you 're getting a point across but you 're not saying the exact facts and then there's kind of the truth of just the facts, and then there's the truth of What's in your heart that really kind of destroyed you, and now you're getting it out there in some way that connects with the reader? So, what's?
0: I think. I think it's. I think. I mean. I think all of us know what the truth is. I, I, I don't. I think don't know if that's true. Oh, I think. I think it's very fashionable for people to say they don't aren't. But if if you if you you know in, in this interview, if you open the interview by saying. You know, and then Mary Carr gave me a blowjob before, <laughs> you know, that's a made up thing. You know, that's
1: untrue. O- only, because that we're a, o- only because we're talking on the phone right now. So it'd be hard.
0: <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, if you're making up things that didn't happen, that's lying. I, and, and it's not hard. It's not hard to, to see that. And yes, I think people, I, I, for me, the, the main thing I think is describing the shape. Of your own mind and your own spirit and your own heart. And, and invariably the things that you're obsessed with, that you, the thing that happened to you that was very dramatic that maybe nobody else would find very dramatic. Maybe it was, you know, the guy you had a crush on, you know, looked at you funny at the dance and you, you know, ran into the bathroom and threw up and, and nothing happened. You know, on the surface, and yet that was a big and dramatic moment for you. And if you're telling the story of your life, that event, however banal it might seem on the surface, has to be in there because it's at the core of who you are.
1: Okay, so... You know, so, what, I'm,
0: so, you know what I'm saying? So I yes. think you have to show your life, your mind and the edges of your mind trying to find the truth and so, shape reality. But,
1: so. but, but it's one thing to say, okay, the guy rejected me, I went to the bathroom, I threw up. There's another thing to kind of build sort of brick by brick why that's a truth, a, a capital T truth to you that that other people will also resonate with. Because we've all had that experience when you explain it in a way that's – again, I'm going to use this capital T truth uh, – w- when you're going to explain it in a way that's a deeper truth to you. And so I'm wondering about – Right. Not, so not if, just,
0: it, so if, the, if the person decides, if the person wants to write a memoir and decides – Oh I'm going to put that the guy I really have a crush on you know rapes me in the parking lot then then he or she is avoiding finding the deep truth that at that point the person was so real to you in your mind and in your imagination and you paid so, you have to show the amount of time you spend watching this person and sitting in his driveway watching him dribble a basketball and you know, standing on the sidelines of his football practice and passing a note that he never responds to and writing his name over and over on your note. You have to describe what you were doing to make that a big deal to you.
1: And I think that's the carnality that you were referring to earlier. It's not necessarily all the physical senses that are happening at that moment, but your physical senses that are happening at that exactly.
0: moment. Exactly. Yeah, you can't describe how other people... And that's one another thing I recommend is not to try to suggest suggest what other people felt or what their motives were. I mean, if somebody tells you they feel a certain way, it seems like you can say that. But I never say, you know, my parents were alcoholics or my mother tried to kill me because... I can say she told me she tried to kill me for this reason one day and for that reason another day and for that reason on a third day. So we don't really know. Uh, but it's not for me to deduce and tell some, make a confession for her. It's for me to occupy my experience
1: right, and, and I say how
0: I felt. And no one, I mean, the thing that's sort of infuriating to me about the the memoir haters is that they're, most of them are refuting something I never said. They, they spend a lot of time saying, oh, you you know, this is obviously very dicey and no one can remember this. I don't know. I think the stuff that... <laughs> there are things that happen to us that we chew on and gnaw on and talk about ad nauseum and ponder and talk to friends and family and shrinks. And yeah. You know, I think those moments are often very vivid to us and, and to suggest that we... That it's impossible to know your own mind. There's something... I realize that we live in an age of subjective truth, and, and certainly I wouldn't suggest that my memory is infallible. But no one can tell me what the shape of my mind is like better than me.
1: Well, and I think, first off, you mentioned earlier that in some cases the memoir form might be, you know, is good just for, heck, I might want my great grandchildren to know about me.
0: Exactly, so, so right? I write
1: a memoir. But then there becomes, then, then, there becomes the craftsmanship because you want your great grandchildren to enjoy reading the story of you. And I think part part of the craftsmanship and part of what you're saying with the carnality is that this is, this is your truth and your problems too. It's almost like a form of therapy. You can't say your my mom was evil. So she tried to kill me. It's like, this is my experience of being a child with a mom like this.
0: Right, and I also I have to say about myself and anyone who knows me, or anybody I've sent pages to, who has read the pages, I have a very physical, carnal memory. My memory is, I remember that way. I remember very. I remember what people wear all, all the time. I remember stuff I ate. I remember. I have a. That's just my nature. That's just how my. Mind works, and and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for a memoirist, I, I think in my case it hasn't been a bad thing. I've, I've but that's just how I remember stuff. And,
1: and, 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 and again, I, again, I'll, I'll refer to Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, which I view as as a memoir just as much as fiction. He has almost none of what you would call, or or at least what you would call as typical carnality. Of course not,
0: but it's a great book, and he he found a way to to put his mind down, I think, in that book, right? Show his psyche, show his manner of perception and thinking um, that's incredibly, you know, riveting, right?
1: Right, and he even admits in the first, you know, intro, this is a memoir, and then immediately he has an 18-year-old kid time-traveling. So, right. so, so how, so, so teach me, like, where is the, how did he sort of navigate the truth there to come up with this deeper truth?
0: Oh, I don't know. You would have to ask, I, I'm not a fiction writer. I have no idea, but uh, I have no idea how, how a fiction writer does that. I'm, I've I, never written fiction. I've never had much talent for it. I have but, no idea. I just know that, that if you're, if you're writing about yourself, and I, and I just know this from working with students over 30 years and editing a couple of memoirs and, you know, editing a lot of, non, of my students' nonfiction, is that if you're trying to represent yourself in a way that you're not, it's the reader's going to know.
1: Right, so for Which instance, is, you d- you in your Yeah, so if I tried fiction. to
0: write like Vonnegut, I would suck.
1: Well, well, even when you tried to write fiction like you, 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 yeah, exactly. immediately, you immediately felt it wasn't truth.
0: Right, I thought. Yeah.
1: So, 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 let's take another example because you're 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 a little hard, maybe appropriately or inappropriately. I'll I'll ask you. You're a little bit hard on James Frey with a million little pieces, and at the same time, you talk about Michael Hur's Dispatches, which is kind of you know uh, his memoir of, of of Vietnam, where he also exaggerates and mashes characters together. Uh, what's the difference between the two?
0: Because all of James Fry's lies were intended to make the reader think of himself in a certain way. He, you never lost sight of the... He was shitty ass. You never lost sight of him roostering around and, yet, and, yet, and trying and yet, to... Sh- and, no, just a minute. Sure. The other thing is James Fry went on national television and spoke for the entire genre for years. For years. he The standard he had embraced which to me was the, everybody I knew who had ever written a memoir, including Michael Hare, Tobias Wolf, Maxine Hahn Kingston, you know, Richard Wright, well, whom I never met. But everybody I ever met, Katherine Harrison, I mean, people who are Maya Angelou, all of John Edgar Wyman, all those people I ever met who ever wrote memoirs, didn't approach it the way James Bry did. And to me, they're all better writers, whether Oprah picked them or not. I mean, that's her mistake. Okay, But, you know, the, the guy makes up to, you know, take the lowest, you know, anybody can do anything they want, but there's no, if he had, you know, he, he stood on national television. It, I felt myself thinking, I had people show up at my house with TV cameras the next day and say, oh, of course this is a lot. I sat on the New Yorker stage with, with uh, the fiction editor saying, oh, well, the book's called The Liar's Club. Of course you're lying. I mean, he spoke for my genre. I've been working in. I mean, it's so. I don't think I was as hard on him as he deserved. I mean, he was crying all the way to the bank, wasn't it?
1: Well, well, so, but,
0: but it's interesting. you know, so, the guys, the guy's not really known as a moral titan. So, you know, so, he's he's not he's not really you know he's not really known as somebody that interested in the truth, and that is the opposite of every memoirist I ever wrote.
1: Well, you even talk about I ever how-
0: mattered or talked about. I mean, you know, so, you know, believe me, he's made plenty of money and he's, you know, Godspeed, (laughs) you know, but, but I didn't, I didn't go, I don't think I was hard on him at all or any of those people who just flat footed. He didn't accidentally make those mistakes. None of those mistakes were accident. He didn't believe he was in jail. He didn't misremember that he was in jail he decided to make up a lie, so, so nobody I know does that,
1: so nobody
0: would you I know does that
1: would you say his his work works as fiction and, and that he should never should have called it memoir
0: i I never liked the writing. I thought it was pretty pure, frankly, I mean I just on a scale of one to ten. there are parts of it that I think if you're interested in people getting sober, but you never lost sight of him trying to have Impress you with what a little badass he was. And he just seemed, he seemed like just one of those guys at the end of the bar. <laughs> you know, well, okay. They were here the other night and I beaten up and, you know, we had a fight in the parking lot.
1: So, so uh, I just, really tiring. You, you address this, though, in kind of like the, the skills of a good memoirist in that they'll kind of be upfront with their, their relationship with the truth. And that some things might not be true. And in which case, for instance, Michael Hare's dispatches.
0: Well, actually, the best parts of Michael Hare's dispatches, as he told me in an interview that I had with him this year, are true. The dialogue, the stuff he wrote down, he said none of that is made up. He never, but he also, he created his psyche in a war zone. Who knows that better than Michael here? You can't say that his mind doesn't work that way. And I've known Michael here now for 20 years. I mean, anybody who knows him knows he's not a guy nervously organized to be in a war zone. You know, and the book, and the book reflects that.
1: You, You know? And I
0: also, I also never thought he was trying to show himself to good effect. I think he was very, very hard on himself. You, you, and uh, it really showed the moral conundrum of being in a war zone.
1: You, you know what and I, I like? I
0: think Fry just showed Fry. So you,
1: you know what I like about your description of of Michael's book or of Dispatches is that you know even he refers to yet another book about Vietnam as as Vietnam porn. So he's trying to kind yeah. of, he's kind of trying to find his own personal experience around the fact that like like he didn't start off with a scene like and then i shot six people like he he kind of took right. a much more subtle personal scene to start off the book which which frankly might have been less boring for for people i mean more boring for people who are looking for vietnam porn yeah right and so so it reminds me of your your description of george orwell's memoir like you have a a, a passage of george orwell's memoir where he's right in the middle of you know, fighting against the, the fascists and he meets a guy and he doesn't discuss the, what's going on in the war. He doesn't discuss the potential political differences. He simply says, I hope he liked me as well as I liked him, which is a very, like, personal and honest moment. And,
0: and- yeah, it felt like I, I sincerely doubt he manufactured that.
1: Right, and you, you say you, you say what makes Orwell a genius is trusting that this small, strange moment that touched him so deeply could also touch a reader if he told it frankly enough. Because we all, we, we might go to a party tonight, for instance, and think the exact same thing. I hope he liked me as well as I liked him.
0: Right. Right, right. It's a, it's a true human moment, you know? It feels like a... A true thing, and it's also in no way makes George Orwell look like he's not writing to polish up some version of himself, uh, to sell or to dupe the reader with. You you can just tell. I mean, we all read novels like that. You know, we all read. I used to work, I used to work in the prisons, and I've worked in a couple of prisons doing creative writing workshops, and, and there was a kind of, you know, and then I stepped out of my car and I had a bitch on each arm and I was strapped with this weapon and my dick was tied to my knee and, and, uh, you know, and then these same guys would write these incredibly moving things about looking for their dad, you know, when they were little kids, you know, and in some ways the more dangerous writing, uh, Pretty really small, simple moments of just going to a mall where his dad's supposed to have a job and trying to find it. You know, and in some ways, that was the more dangerous writing they did.
1: So, so, so this is this is related to um, not only kind of the structure of your memoirs, but also what you discuss in the art of the memoir, which is that I think the storyteller in general has to transcend time. So every story, of course, has a beginning, a middle, and an end, but you often it, it's very challenging to um, not necessarily write in that order, you want to write where intensity belongs and 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 you do that very well and i 'm just you know wondering if one starts not with the beginning but with these vulnerable moments because that 's what the reader is going to resonate and draw the reader in
0: I think it's whatever you can stand yeah. you know what i do think, you mean? i think we're, I just think it's it's a very it 's so much about your psychological process that some people you know, I, again, I, I throw away so much of what I write that I think everybody writes, I, I don't I don't think with memoirs it's mostly a beginning, middle, and an end. I think there are mostly um, sort of episodes that you then organize. I, mine tend to get organized in linear time so that it feels like there's a beginning, middle, and end, but but they're mostly you just write these scenes and then you start to have, oh my God, I see that this whole period of my life was about, you know, shaping a self, you know, um, say, or distinguishing myself from my mother, say, or whatever.
1: You know, I'm, I'm wondering also about the memoir as literary form. So you talk a lot about, of course, George Orwell, Nabokov, Tobias Wolf and all these, like, just great, amazing writers. But there's also been memoirs out there where, uh, you know, let's just take as an example, a very commercial, successful example, uh, Michael Lewis's Liar's Poker is clearly a memoir, and a lot of people enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, the poker book, yeah. Yeah, and and, and so do you consider that as somehow different from the memoir form, even though it's, uh, you know? No, mm
0: no, I think think it's, I think there's, you know, there, there are memoirs that are high in literary art that you'll reread and reread and reread. I mean, I'm rereading a book right now called The Worst Journey in the World about Antarctica that is not a great piece of literature, but something about the story of these guys doing this polar exploration I just find very moving, but, but, so uh, nobody would read that book. It's well written, but nobody would think of it on a par with Nabokov's Speak but, Memory or Nabokov's Speak Memory. So,
1: but I, I wonder, I wonder if you know, like, what's your stance? So you, you, you have a quote from Frank Chin, who um, is is a, a great writer, also, and he writes, uh, being marginalized by the reading public was adjudged authentic. Whereas being read by the mainstream invariably means you've you've sold out, and I wonder how much you actually
0: the quote the quote is from Amy Tan.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Well, and Amy Tan, of course, is extremely uh, commercially successful, right? And so, so I wonder how much how much you uh, value something, uh, whether it's you know based on its commercial success.
0: Oh, you mean, you mean if it's, it's commercially, commercially successful, that I, I wouldn't like
1: it, it? right? Or, or oh, that, no. that would give you some bias against it.
0: Oh, God, no. Uh-uh. I'm not like that. I'm not like that at all. I mean, I'm somebody who put Stephen King on the, on the you know, great novelist to the 20th century list, you know, well, for the modern library.
1: Well, well, well that's and, a great I, example, too, though. Like you, 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 so, so I think a great memoir is on writing by Stephen King. And you don't really, I don't, I don't know what your opinion is on that book.
0: I love this, but I mean he all he does is praise me on the first paragraph, so I mean
1: <laughs> so I, have,
0: I have other reasons to love it, but no i thought but I think Stephen King is a great writer. It doesn't matter his level of commercial success,
1: you know um
0: so yeah i i don't that i'm not I'm not that big a snob i hope
1: not, not that I'm accusing you of it i was just I was just wondering because it was mentioned in the book so so you give three. Good pieces of advice to to all writers, and I think again, anybody who wants to be read by you know either future generations or their peers or whatever could could benefit from this advice. One is you say uh, writing is painful and so so what do you mean by that? Nobody
0: I know who's really good at it says anything else. I've never met anybody who 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 didn't say that
1: like when you when you sit down to write. Now and I don't, I don't know how often how, how often you do it, but do you ever get scared? Uh, look, I'm
0: never not
1: scared. You're never not scared. Okay, I like that because again, I think it's particularly hard for the memoirist because there's only so many you. you yeah, but even
0: writing even writing poetry or an article, I'm
1: scared. Okay, and what are you scared of? You sounding like an like an
0: idiot. You know, being boring. Uh, losing my what little stature I've been able to, you know, secure for myself.
1: Um, and, and how do you, you
0: know, how do you same read? same kinds of things? Any ego is scared of, you know, some some loss of power or something. I mean, it's venal and horrible to say it, but it's true.
1: So, and this is true for 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 writing, for music, for for movies, for for comedy. But let's say you write something and and you publish it, and then later you realize either it didn't get the acclaim you would have liked it to get, or you realize that it wasn't as good as you would have liked? How do you rebuild your, your self-esteem?
0: Well, I mean, uh, I, don't I don't ever, ever have, have much self-esteem. Much self-esteem <laughs> <to be laughs> All right, that,
1: that, that solves it.
0: <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that. But I don't. I don't think of my books as any great, you know, shakes. You know, they're not they're not as good as Orwell or Hong Kingston or Richard Bright or Nabokov. I mean, you know, they're just not.
1: So- okay. okay, you just picked the five greatest writers of all time. So I just want to say for the listeners that Mary Carr's books are great and and among the best and worth reading. But I'm gonna move on to number two of your suggestions for writers, which is Good work comes only through revision, and uh, and you wrote that you threw out over twelve hundred pages of your first memoir. Um, no, of my
0: second memoir. Second I'm memoir. I'm sorry, my third memoir. Third memoir.
1: Third. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm keeping track. So, so so I
0: probably threw out four hundred pages of my first and six hundred pages of my second. So and um, then
1: and then I think um I think you quoted I forget if you quoted Orwell or someone else that every page you write you should like 30% you should throw out.
0: Oh, that's my idea.
1: But, oh, okay. Uh,
0: but I, but I might have read it. I might easily have, have read it elsewhere.
1: And then the third thing you say for for a good writer, which I think is very good advice, is that you have to have good reading habits. So... so yes. Uh, do you read things that uh, are... Do you feel are in your voice, the voice that... Uh, you would like you would you aspire to be, or do you try to read things that are completely opposite of your voice?
0: Oh, I don't have any, I don't have any conscious thought of that. That's I mean, it. I I'm reading, I'm reading, I read very. I'm a very promiscuous reader. I I read, you know, Southern writing, uh, British writing, you know, African writing. I just read a lot of a lot of different kinds of stuff. You know, I, I'm not very, uh I don't consciously seek to read, oh, this person will sound like me. and they, Most people don't sound like me, so they're not much help to me. But um, but no, I just try to read people who write better than I do. But I also read, you know, I'll read anything, sort of. You know, I read, I get stuck at an airport, you know, I'll buy a damn book rather than, you know, not have one.
1: Well, so so if you sometimes when people ask me this question, I don't always remember off the top of my head the answer. But what are like a few books you're re, you've read recently that have just blown you away?
0: I was I I was very knocked out by Dana Spiotta's Innocence and others, uh, George Saunders' Tenth of December, um, uh, Terrence Hayes's. Uh, how to Be Drawn, it's a book of poetry. The book I'm reading now is a book that was written, I think, in 19, I don't know, 12, something like that, the early 1900s, you know, early part of the 20th century. It's this book about polar exploration. But I'm also about to teach uh,
1: dispatches, among other things.
0: So um, I'm re- So I reread a lot of
1: stuff. So so I kind of want to close with one of one of the quotes that that you closed with and I think again this is related to the fact that um you know like you were talking about G H Harding who I didn't even know him as a mathematician and until I read about him in your in your book and that and I'm going to have to I I I'm going to try his his memoir now on your recommendation but uh You say, and I think this is really important for everybody to realize, we all sort of have some truth inside of us that could be shared, even if it's just among to pass down our history to to generations. But you say, and you say none of us can ever know the value of our lives, of how separate and silent scribbling may add to the amenity of the world, if only by how radically it changes us one by one. And I thought that was very beautiful. Right.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I, I certainly, no, I certainly think that. And I I, I think, think all of us trying to who, who try to write are, you know, are uh, trying to make the world less lonely in
1: some way. I like so. that, that, trying to make the world less lonely, because ultimately, y- you know, you see so much writing on the Internet now because it's so easily accessible to both publish and to read. But a lot of it is kind right. of this... Writing from a pedestal like here's what here's x y and z what you should do or here's what's happening in the world right now no one really kind of uh or not i shouldn't say no one many people don't really connect loneliness to loneliness which is what we can all relate to
0: yeah exactly right isn't that the human isn't everybody else feel that way isn't it it's not just tell me it's not just me
1: right (laughs) and it, it, it is the human condition we're stuck here in this body Right. So, well, well, Mary, thanks so much. It's the art of the memoir. Oh, yeah.
0: Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate
1: it. Oh, I I really enjoyed your book, and I think it's a really great guide to writing in general. But I think also we're living in in the world of the of the memoir right now, and and I think the the art of the memoir is a, a valuable uh, book to read to to learn how to do it. So. Uh, Well, thanks
0: so much. I really
1: appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. I I will. All right, my dear. Take care. Bye. For more from James, check out the James Altucher show on the Stansberry radio network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.